Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thanks very much for doing that. This is 1064B. The Bs are always guest segments, and we have just an outstanding guest for you who's written a brilliant, wonderful book, Brian Primack. Dr. Primack is both a MD and a PhD who is now a dean of the College of Education and Health Professionals at the University of Arkansas. So we'll ask him why his social clicking hasn't gotten more Arkansonians to get the vaccine. But he is the Henry G. Holtz Endowed Chair in Educational Innovation. And he, the book is about media, technology, and health, the interaction of them, if you will. It is a, and, and I really want to say, it is an outstanding book. You are what you click. How being selective, positive, and creative can transform your social media experience. Uh, Dr. Primack did live a bunch of time in uh, Pennsylvania at the University of Pennsylvania, as well as he got his degrees at Yale and Harvard, as well as Pittsburgh. So he is about as uh, qualified to do this, but what really makes him qualified is this is a great book. Dr. Primack, we've recently been beset with, I guess, the images of a young person, I guess her name was uh, Gabby Petito, on TV, um, where she had all these Instagram posts of happiness and joy, and uh, apparently there wasn't the same happiness and joy. Is, is this true? Do most people fake it on their instant or social media accounts? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And, and first of all, Michael, thank you so much for that very kind introduction. I, I'm really happy to be here and really appreciate your, your interest in the book. And to answer your question, absolutely. I mean, we all want social media to give us joy and happiness and connection, all those things that, that social experiences are supposed to do. But unfortunately, that's often not the way the reality is. You have this image of somebody sitting hunched over their phone, tum thumbs are, you know, punching away that they are rolling on the floor laughing, R-O-T-F-L, or just saying laugh out loud, L-O-L, but they're sitting there with a glum expression on their face. And that irony is that juxtaposition is just there all the time. And it's not just something that we think of anecdotally. It's really been shown in well-controlled research, um, published and, and then verified a number of times that people who tend to use more social media uh, tend to also be more depressed, more anxious, and even um, to feel socially isolated. So that juxtaposition that you were talking about is definitely true and borne out in reality. Now, one of the things that, that is so interesting about uh, the Cleveland Clinic and our, our, if you will, our email, I get 800 emails a day. But 
we are told never click on anything from anyone you don't know because that's the way, obviously, they invade. Um, but a lot of it is how do you control your desire? I mean, there are so many interesting stories that come in and it says, click here to find out about X, Y, or Z. And uh, you always want to, I mean, they're so interesting stories. How do you control that? And how do you be creative? And, and what you've said is, uh, you are what you click. So we've got to be a little more, I'm so curious, I want to click a bunch of things, but obviously limit, I'm limited by both time and uh, the the rules of the game. So how do you, for example, limit the time? Um, with 800 emails a day, I rarely get time to even throw them all away. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a very good point. And it's tricky. And I think that the first step to making this kind of change that you're talking about is to be aware of exactly what an opportunity cost there is for each of those clicks. This is something that we've heard recently in, in Marie Kondo's work. You know, she talks about the fact that, you know, you really have to actively select the things that you keep in your home, for example. You can't just sort of keep everything. You know, you want to keep everything, just kind of like you want to click on everything that's there because there's something interesting or something potentially valuable about it. But the fact is that in today's world, we have a lot of stuff and we have a lot of content, you know, uh, just on my, on a thumb drive that, you know, the size of my pinky, you know, you could fit, you know, hundreds of lifetimes of, of movies and books and content and things like that. But the one thing that, that I don't have enough of is, is attention. And so just like Marie Kondo wants you to basically say, yes, all these things are great, but select those five shirts that really bring you happiness. We need to try to do that same thing with the social and digital media in our lives. So just as one example, we actually go through in the book some published studies that help us realize that instead of making our circles much larger, it can actually be much more helpful to your own happiness and, and bringing meaning to your life to make your circles smaller. And it seems very strange. It seems almost counterintuitive. But in this research, what we found is that people who have more uh, friends in their list that they've never actually met in person um, tended to be more depressed for every extra individual in their list that they've never met in person. And this is probably because social media are maybe not a great way to have a complete relationship, to meet someone for the first time and, and then sort of grow from nothing. But they seem to be a better thing for taking relationships that are already established and then sort of growing and, and nurturing them, continuing them. So it's one example of how we just have to recognize that opportunity cost. And just like Marie Kondo would tell you, you know what, you really don't need all 26 of these shirts. Pick the five 
that are really going to bring you joy and make your life better. It's the same kind of thing with those 800 messages that you see. Yes, I totally understand that there's a desire with each one of them to see what that might be, but we need to find some way of identifying what are those key critical things that you actively want to select. And so, finally, the base of the pyramid, um, you know, I've sort of created a, a social media pyramid the way we have a food pyramid. And the base of the social media pyramid is called Be Selective. And it's about that selection process and goes through um, the selection, not just of the amount of time and the different platforms and the frequency, which you're going to use social media, but a lot of other things like the kinds of individuals that, that you will be contacting and connecting with. As you can tell, Dr. Primark uses food as an analogy, and using analogies is a great set of things that is done in the book to make, to at least help me understand a great deal. By the way, the, the book's website is youarewhatyouclick.com. Youarewhatyouclick.com, the title of the book. So develop that food analogy pyramid more, if you will. What's above uh, the selectivity Yeah. So thank you for asking. And yeah, I I think that the food analogy really does work. I mean, obviously, it's not perfect, just like any analogy. Um, Food and social media aren't exactly the same. We don't strictly need social media to live the way we do with food. But in today's world, that's becoming, (laughs) it's becoming more and more true that we almost need social media to live our current lifestyles. People use social media an average of three or four hours a day. They use it multiple times a day. Um, Like with food, there are a lot of quote-unquote dietary choices. There are a lot of different ways that people can use social media. And just like food goes in and nourishes the body and almost becomes the body, social media, because it's something we're acting, uh, you know, interacting with, several hours a day is definitely going into our minds and creating scripts that help us create our reality. It's also easy to overindulge the way it is with regard to food. And, you know, several decades ago when processed foods and other kinds of technological advances were changing the way we ate, we started to get more health problems. You know, there started to become an epidemic of obesity and type 2 diabetes and much more. And that's when we needed in response the, the food pyramid. We needed people to realize, hey, you need to get more of this. You need to try to limit this. You need to just at least know what fiber is and what, what trans fats are and that Maybe getting more fiber is a good idea and getting less trans fats is a good idea. And it was only at that point, um, obviously we're still battling epidemics of obesity and type 2 diabetes, but I do think that some of that education was valuable. And so we're looking to do the same kind of thing with social media. Well, well, we hope... 
we hope we have more success with uh, social media than obesity, but I think both are, are uh, winning. And that comes to, in other words, we have an epidemic of obesity. And if you look at the analogy, the food pyramids haven't seemed to help people that much. The social media pyramid, I hope, does better. The risk, I think, is, and you point this out brilliantly in the, the book in several chapters, about uh, social media and health, social media and sleep. Go ahead and, and talk to us about the, the relationship of social media and mental health, and can we use it for good, or is it, how do, you, how do we limit it? And, and I guess I'm going to tie it with one more question at the same time, asking you three questions at the same time is cruel, I realize, but you, you were probably capable of this, is I lived in, I, I, we brought our kids up uh, before social media. I mean, they were through uh, growing up and into, into college and postgraduate by uh, 2002. What do parents do now? I mean, it's got to be re very tough. You're a parent as well. Yes, I am. And yes, I, I certainly have gotten a lot of experiencing from the parenting. My kids are, are 14 and 17, <laughs> right during this sort of boom of social media. And so I, I've learned a lot. Um, let me go back, though, for a moment and touch on a couple of those other questions, and then we'll get to parenting, which is, I think, a a, a really great topic. So, with regard to, you know, I think your comment was very interesting about how successful have we been? Because, hey, you know, if we really have this food pyramid and if it did anything, then shouldn't we have seen, you know, an increase in obesity, but then a decrease in obesity? And we just haven't seen that. And I think where with regard to that situation, as well as social media, you know, what I, you know, I agree, I'm a little bit concerned. We can create the pyramids, we can do as much as we can, but how much of a difference is it going to make? Well, what I would say is that in many individual cases, it has made a difference. In other words, there are many individuals who have taken the food pyramid to heart, have really thought about it, have created systems and have been able to probably avoid what would have been a worse outcome. But I think the difference is that we as a society just are just so overwhelmed that not everybody is getting that benefit. And so I've thought about that a lot with regard to, to my pyramid because I really wanted to have the maximum benefit. Now, I'm not under any you know, impression that it's all of a sudden going to completely change uh, you know, society, but I do hope that it at least changes the ideas and lives of the people who read it, that those folks will be able to say, ah, okay, I can do this first level of being more selective. I can do the second level of being more positive and then the top level of being more creative. And even if it doesn't change everybody in society, it at least will help those individuals. I mean, you know, we'll see. The second thing that you asked about was sleep. And sleep is extremely important because sleep 
is so much of the foundation, well, you know from being a physician, <laughs> of uh, both mental health as well as physical health. And so it, it, it is just a, a critical sort of um, underpinning. And I think, and that's why we definitely need to be thinking about it. And in the book, I do, I have a, a, a couple chapters about sleep. In those, we do talk about published studies that demonstrate, I think, a couple interesting things about sleep to think about. So one is probably pretty intuitive that the 30 minutes before bedtime is a really, really critical time with regard to social media. People who often use social media before, right before bed in those critical 30 minutes have three or even more times the likelihood of having poor sleep. But the thing that's interesting in that set of papers that we published about sleep is that the amount that you use social media all day that's even not related to those last 30 minutes before bed are also important. And although we don't totally understand the mechanism it probably has something to do with multitasking. It probably has something to do with the fact that people who use a lot of social media in a lot of frequency, you know, every 15 minutes or taking a break and checking this and that, are shifting focus in such a way that the brain is just not used to in an evolutionary sense. And therefore that is interrupting normal brain processes around things like sleep, but around things like cognition and memory as well. And so, you know, there's still a lot more studying to do, but um, in the book, we give some very specific ways of trying to curate your use so that, you know, it's not something that you have to completely take away, but that it is optimized to give you good sleep. And then, you know, finally, I'll come back to your, your last point about um, parenting. We've got a, uh, some sections in the book, of course, about parenting. Uh, the, the book is focused on, you know, sort of social media and mental health overall, though. I mean, there's a chapter about older individuals as well, because that is also, you know, a population we need to be thinking about. Um, however, with regard to parenting, I think that you know th there are a, a, a lot of practical suggestions with, with how to work with kids. So one example is about um, introducing social media literacy. Um, and, I, and you probably say, so this is sort of akin to media literacy, the ability to analyze and evaluate media you see around yourself like an advertisement or something like that. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm media literate. I'm social media literate. I know how to you know, turn on Facebook and I know how to send messages and things like that. But what you'll see if you actually start doing and, and going a little bit deeper is that we know a lot less than we think we know. If you turn on any given platform and you start to ask yourself questions like, why is it that color? Why is that a different color? Why is the lighting like this? Why do they use this font here, but this font here? Why did I get that message popped up? Why did I get that 
advertisement on that side? Why is it on that side to begin with? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you'll start to realize that there is a lot going on here. I mean, armies of designers and developers um, are creating this to be sticky and to make sure that your kids are stuck there and you are stuck there. And by becoming aware of how much is going on in these different processes, it works together with young people's natural sense of rebelliousness and sensation seeking and gets them interested in saying, hey, wait a second, you mean they're doing all that stuff just to keep my attention so that they can sell an extra advertisement where I'd really rather be out playing basketball or jamming in my band or something like that. And that is the kind of thing that parents can share with kids that doesn't make the parent feel like they're the one wagging their finger and instead is the one empowering themselves and a young person to just be more aware and, and therefore more likely to make better choices that empower them. You know, if all they, if all people get is what you've said in the last little bit out of this interview, they've really gotten a huge amount, but they can get even more. We're talking with Brian Primack, Dr. Primack, who's an MD and a PhD, um, and is the Henry Holtz Endowed Chair in Educational Innovation at the University of Arkansas, and you can see why. His book is You Are What You Click, a great book. I'm going to end with one question that is engaged, if you will. I couldn't resist it. Um, how are you using social media, and what's wrong with the way we're using it, in Arkansas to get more people vaccinated? And what should we have done as a country with social media in vaccination to help people understand um, the importance of it? Why have we failed and why has social media failed us in vaccination? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great question because here's a very practical situation where if we had been able to get more people vaccinated, we would be dealing with many, many fewer casualties, you know, many fewer of the problems that we're having right now in terms of our hospitals being full, our intensive care units being full. And what I would say is that right now, public health is still in the infancy of using social media and other digital tools as ways of implementing health behavior, education, prevention, health promotion. And I think, so it's in a way, it's a bit of a disappointing time to be a public health person because you think to yourself, wow, if we could have done the targeted messaging earlier, more effectively, in a better way, you know, how many more people could we have saved? But I also think that it's an exciting time to be in public health because we're just at the precipice. We're starting to work with data scientists and computer engineers to use all of these tools potentially for positive, for good. We have a ways to go. We have to continue to work, in, work with those folks. We have to continue to work with people in marketing 
because a lot of what we need to do is to market social behaviors, pro-social behaviors. Uh, we need to work with people in, in communication science. Um, we really need to get out of our shell of just sort of expecting that we're going to put up a billboard and change people's minds. But I think that once we start doing that, I think it's going to be extremely exciting um, what we're going to be able to do in the future. It seems to me we have, have lost a major battle in that the anti-vaccination group has figured out how to target people who they can keep from getting vaccinated much better than the pro-vaccination group has targeted people who they want to get vaccinated. And, and consequently, when I look at, at that one little example, it is we've got the same problem with obesity, the same problem with exercise. Um, we've done better with smoking just by high taxes and a huge um, persistent campaign. But, but you'd say, could we use the social media for good in targeting? And uh, we are relying on you, Brian, to uh, help us much more than we've succeeded so far. Um, the, the gist of this is that this is an outstanding book. You are what you click. How being selective, positive, and creative can transform your social media experience. I'd like to say I hope it will transform our social media experience to being healthier and to choose healthier behaviors. You are what you click from Brian Primack and the website um, for this outstanding book is youarewhatyouclick.com. Thanks very much, Dr. Primack, and thank you for downloading us as well as thanks Life's First Naturals and both Bovine Colostrum and True Biotics, their two lead products, for helping sponsor this. We'll be back next week with another 1065B, that will be. This has been 1064B. You'll want to listen to last week as well because we had another outstanding guest as we do almost every week. Last week it was all about kissing, a much more fun subject than social media, unfortunately. We'll be back next week. Thanks again.